Good evening, Ashley. There's going to be a whole series of these messages for that. That's not, I'm doing it on purpose. Always remember, no matter what happens, we'll always have these nights together and mornings. But we're here tonight, and we're picking up in Genesis, as you probably expected, uh, Genesis, God and Man. And tonight we're going to be in Genesis chapter 20, and then we're going to close out chapter 22, verses 20 through 24. And then we're going to be all caught up and ready to continue on in Genesis. Tonight, we're ahead of our last study, but we're still not caught up to the testing of Abraham with the sacrifice of Isaac, or at least uh, the call to sacrifice him, which you didn't have to go through uh, in Genesis 22. There's still one more event that we're going to look at tonight and a quick genealogy as well, uh, which are both quite important, even though at first reading through these, you might think that they're not. Sometimes we have to sit and consider uh, just for a second, why is this in here uh, to find the point to it? And I'm sure God will always let us know uh, why things are there uh, in, in due season. But before this chapter, because we've been skipping around a lot and I've had to fill in some blanks here to get us up to speed previously, right before this, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Abraham had pleaded with God to spare it when he came with the two angels and met with them and told Sarah that they were going to have a child soon. But then they went on and Abram pleaded with him as they went on the road and said, if there's, if there's ten righteous, Abram will spare it. But the reason why he was doing that, I think at the root of it all, of course, you know, his primary reason was to save Lot and his family. He loved Lot. It was his nephew. Uh, but I'm sure Abram also uh, did not find joy in the destruction of the wicked. God doesn't find joy in the destruction of the wicked. Um, if you remember the flood, he was grieved. Uh, but God will still do it. There's things that I have to do as a dad. Um, you know, uh, even as just a, a, in my day-to-day job, that I, there's things I have to do or say that I don't necessarily enjoy doing it, but I have to. You know, well... I know this person worked really hard on it, but there's a couple of tiny little things wrong, or there's something wrong. This isn't exactly what we were looking for. And thankfully, it doesn't happen often. And thankfully, I'm not the guy at the top of the food chain, so I've kind of got always got that. Well, it's just my two cents to kind of <laughs> take some of the burden off uh, myself and them. Uh, but tonight, we're going to see God uh, say some strong things to somebody, and Abram do some Abraham, excuse me, do some old school Abram things. But there weren't 10 righteous in that city. And again, you have to wonder how America and the world haven't faced God's judgment yet. Well, number one, it's the age of grace we live in. But that age is going to end one day when God takes the believers home. And then there's not going to be 10 righteous left for God to spare the world of judgment. More will come to know God and become righteous by his blood. And we'll have to shed their blood in a sense to prove it. But that day hasn't come yet. No matter what, how many bad storms are, no matter what attacks or enemies come, they may be judgment and they might not be. It might just be an effect of the world, but um, the final judgment hasn't happened. We're, we're still alive, we're still breathing, and we're not standing before the throne of God. Although I think, if we consider scriptures, I think, you know, really, we, we kind of are standing before his throne. We just don't really realize it because he sees us. But we see that Lot flees. Remember we had that message last week that we're probably just ready to forget and move on, but I can't forget it. Uh, we know what happens to him afterward and that the nations 
the Moabites and the Ammonites will spring up from his lineage. And these people are the future enemies of Israel. So there's a point to that story, not just to weird us out, but also I think to show that, man, there's a lot more things going on. God has got a plan at work. He's trying to bring a nation uh, through the son and seed of Abraham and Sarah. But as he does that, sin begets Ishmael. And Ishmael, is not, it's not his fault, but he grows up and makes choices. And the people that, that he's got, you know, he made his choice and made fun of Isaac. And there's also other people come from Abraham's family um, to do that. Uh, but Lord, let's, uh, we just want to spend another minute in prayer with you, God. It's so good just to be able to talk to you and actually uh, close our eyes and fold our hands if we need to and bow our heads because we are in your presence. That Jesus, you uh, made a way for us to stand in your presence. At the cross, you removed the veil. And with that, God, we want to we wanna hear you and what you have to say. Uh, like the song uh, we were listening to the other day, you know, we don't want to make excuses. We don't want to waste your time trying to come up with excuses or reasons or justifying ourselves. God, we're not justified in anyone's sight, especially yours, except by the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your word, and it speaks the truth and love. And we pray that, God, you would speak to us in it and let your word go forth uh, from this room, from our hearts, and uh, even through perhaps this MP3 that will be on the Internet later. May people hear it and, and, and respond to not me, not, not this place, uh, but God, you, and hear from you. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So Genesis chapter 20, we're going to take these bite-sized chunks at a time. So let's read the first two verses uh, together, Genesis 20. And Abram journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. If you remember when Abraham and Lot's servants clashed a while back, uh, they ended up looking at the valley and Abraham wanting to bring peace and not wanting to take the best for himself. And just, I just want peace with my servants and with my nephew. He said to Lot, whatever seems best. You want to go over there? Take over there. I'll go over here. You want to go over there? I'll go, I'll go over here. Whatever seems best. And Lot looked around, saw Sodom and Gomorrah in the distance, and he saw the green fields before it, and he went that way. And you know, he ended up not staying in the fields, but actually getting into Sodom and Gomorrah. But now that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, Lot is out of there. Maybe Abraham doesn't know. I don't know if Abraham knows at this point. The Bible doesn't tell us that it knows. I mean... Obviously, someone somewhere along the history between now and Moses found out. Otherwise, we wouldn't know what happened a lot. We wouldn't know what happened there. Uh, maybe Abraham does. That's quite possible. I couldn't imagine Abraham, the one who, when Lot was kidnapped, gathered up all his guys, gathered up all their AR-15s. I'm sorry, gathered up all their swords, and they went out and rescued him. Um, I can't imagine him after Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, not trying to find out what happened to his beloved nephew. Even if they hadn't been close, I'm sure he would find out. You think of, you know, tragedies and disasters that have happened in our country. You got people there. You even know of people who know people there. You kind of reach out and ask how they're doing and know if everything's okay. But at some point, he decides to pack up his bags and move on. And, you know, people move on for a lot of reasons. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes... I don't know if it's good or bad, but we'll find out one day. Job changes, 
seeking warmer weather, cheaper living. Uh, you know, people move to the south or to the west for cheaper living. You watch these shows on TV and how much they pay for houses. People, uh, young people these days move on from jobs rather quickly. They just look at jobs as stepping stones. And, you know, I, I get it, but in the same sense, there needs to be some loyalty there. Always wanting to move closer to the beach or closer to the city or away from the city. People have their reasons for moving on. More access to the things they want in life. Um, they also move not to face hard memories anymore. You know, perhaps a loved one died. Uh, you know, I, I think it was I think it was the church or the school. There was a, a shooting, um, and they ended up this, instead of trying to repair it, just tear it down and build a new one because they thought that it was best to to not have any memory of that. And 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 being on the outside, I, I don't know how to answer. That. I don't know in this day and age if that's the right thing or the wrong thing, but that's what they chose to do. And I hope that for them, it's the best solution and not just covering it up. Um, because sometimes you want to remember these things. You want to honor these things. We want to have Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Uh, but in some things, uh, you know, some tragedies you don't want to remember. Maybe you can't be in a house after a spouse dies. Or maybe you're just running away from problems. Maybe you don't like the outlook on things in life, so you're going to pick up and move, and everything goes better for a little while, and then, oh, I have problems again. And, oh, they're the same problems, but with different people, because you are the problem. <laughs> And that's the case for all of us. When we're left to our own devices, uh, we quickly create problems for ourselves and others. Perhaps the memories here were too hard for Abraham. Maybe he couldn't bear to look at the valley and think of his sister-in-law being turned into a pillar of salt. Maybe he couldn't, just couldn't deal with it anymore. Um, but in any case, he went back to his nomadic roots. And sometimes tragedy or personal failures lead us back to the ways we used to know. Like Peter, after Jesus had died on the cross and they had those three days there, it didn't take Peter very long to gather up the other disciples and say, hey, I'm going fishing. When a few chapters earlier, Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? We've left everything. Well, apparently there was still a boat Peter could get into. Uh, there was still a net Peter could cast into the water, even if he cast it on the wrong side that night. Uh, there's a whole message there, I know that. But perhaps Abraham felt burdened. And again, this is conjecture. I'm just trying to meditate on these things a little bit and not just gloss over them. But I think that maybe he was burdened that his prayers for Sodom and Gomorrah weren't answered. Well, they were answered. He prayed that God would spare the city. He didn't spare the city, but he wanted Lot safe and, and Lot was safe. But just because his prayers weren't answered in the way that he thought, and again, this is conjecture. Maybe he felt like he failed. Maybe he felt like, man, I don't really know what I'm doing. I need to go back and go to my old ways. But that doesn't mean that he failed. Our prayers, no matter how right or righteous they are or might be, no matter how influenced by God they are and Holy Spirit led, and our, the same thing with our efforts and our life and our ministry, no matter how in sync with God they are, sometimes there's defeat. Sometimes it looks like failure. Sometimes those we desire to minister to are never reached by us or anyone. Sometimes they even face destruction. They are lost and they die. But you know what? That doesn't mean that it's our fault. If we prayed and we did what God had asked us to do, that's all that matters. 
And that's a hard truth to swallow because we want to have success. We like to have success. We want other people to think that we're successful. But you know what? Those other people don't see things the way God does. And God knows the truth. God knows our hearts and God knows their hearts. And it was Sodom and Gomorrah's fault for not repenting, not Abraham's. And it was Sodom and Gomorrah's fault for continuing on the path that was their destruction. Even when the angels showed up, they had no even thought of destruction coming on them. And we want to be free of the blood of all men, like Paul says. But even Jesus' ministry doesn't mean that everyone is going to go to heaven. It just means that everyone has the chance and opportunity too. But at the end of it, end of it, it's up to us and up to them to choose it. If we choose it, good. That's on God. And that was a good choice by us. But if we, if we fail to choose it, we're going to spend all of eternity weeping and gnashing our teeth and burning, going, why did I not choose it? It was so obvious. God gave me so many chances. This person in my life reached out to me so many times. I had a Bible. I opened up the drawer at the hotel that one time, and there was the Bible, and I had been wondering what the meaning to life was. But I closed the drawer, even though I knew I should have opened it. But as he travels, he goes to these cities called Kadesh, Shur, and Gerar. Kadesh being holy. It's the city in the south of Judea, you know, same as Kadesh and Kadesh Barnea, which we'll see in other parts of Scripture. So these cities have lasting time throughout history and even have modern equivalents because people are still there. Uh, Shore means wall. It's a place southwest of Palestine and eastern border. It's right near Egypt where, the, the in fact, the Israelites uh, one day would pass through the wilderness of Shur after crossing over the Red Sea, um, also called the wilderness of Etham. Uh, Gerar is a lodging place. I think that's interesting because Abraham tries to find his lodging here. Uh, he leaves the place where he's living and he goes to uh, the Super 8 Motel down in Gerar. Uh, and it was actually a Philistine town uh, near uh, Gaza. Uh, modern, mm, I couldn't find uh, mm, on Google Maps, but I could find this area. It was pretty interesting. Uh, but Abraham sojourns here. And I like that word sojourn because it means to abide, to dwell in, to remain, to inhabit, but also to be a stranger. So this idea of you're, you're, you're a stranger and alien here, like the Bible says that we're strangers and so, or aliens and sojourners in this land, in life, getting to heaven. Um, but it means to dwell for a time, temporarily dwell, to abide, to stay in, to seek hospitality with. You know, like when we moved back to New York for that season, we knew it was for a season. We didn't know how long. But we definitely felt like sojourners there. We were glad to be around family. We had a nice home to live in. and We loved living there. But deep in our hearts, we knew that God was going to be bringing us on at one point. But I think it's interesting. It says to seek hospitality with. That while Abraham is here, he's sojourning. And he's seeking hospitality of this land. He's seeking the favor of these people that his life might be safe. And there might be peace there. And you know, Abraham is a powerful guy. He had a lot of possessions. He's done battle in the region, as we talked about when he sought out Lot previously. And, you know, he's had influence with kings and other rulers, as we've seen. And remember that the land was more of a tribal land with local rulers. You know, we think of a king now, we think of a giant, you know, entourage. And these people have warriors and, and, ta and towns. It's more like the guy was a mayor of a town, but the ta every town had his own military. You know, there was, it wasn't as big as it was today, but these people are still powerful and had... Uh, uh, a kingdom and a domain and, and they ruled uh, but he had similar clout to these guys uh, he was no small fry 
But we see Abraham is going back south again. And I believe that so are his decision-making skills. He's going back south. And if we remember, he passed all the way through where God had told him. And he went to Egypt before. And, and he's headed back to Egypt. He's not quite there, but he's on the outskirts of Egypt. And I believe he's backsliding a bit here. Why is he going south even? What, did God tell him to keep going? You know, I don't know that it was wrong necessarily for him to go south, but seeing his, his other decision-making skills lead me to believe that the decision to move south was not exactly uh, a spirit-filled decision. And why is he getting closer and closer to Egypt again? You know, the commentary even mentions that at, at his old age, he still reverts to the sins of his youth. and makes the point that old age, seniority, and experience do not equal righteousness. Sometimes we respect people just because they're old and, well, they've never done anything respectful. doesn't mean that we disrespect them, but it doesn't mean that they have good advice just because they've been around the block. Because we can sin at any age and we can play the fool no matter how much experience we have in life. And you know what? If we're old and we've been making bad decisions and we've never learned from those decisions, well, then we're not wise. We can act foolish our entire life, and if we learn from every foolish mistake we make, well, then at least we've gained wisdom in those things we've been foolish about. Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. Imagine having a perfume and you find a dead fly in it. Well, like us, we had a mouse that got into the car and you look in the cup holder and there's mouse poo. It putrefied the whole car. It didn't smell, but it was like, oh, you didn't want to be in there and it had to be cleaned out. But cause it to give off a foul odor. And so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. It's one thing when a fool does something foolish. No one loses their minds about it. But when someone who is respected and honorable does something foolish, and it's front page news. And it's not front page news when some convicted rapist rapes somebody. But it is when it's some high-profile executive. It's even worse when it's in the church. When it's someone in leadership. Someone who should know better. And I believe as Christians, we all know better. And even if you're not a Christian listening tonight, I believe that God has been convicting you of things. That's what the Bible says. And that also creation cries out that there is a God and makes it very evident that there is and a lot of times I think we know the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. But perhaps we haven't had the power to choose it, but we've still known what's right and wrong. But Abraham pulls the old, she's my sister, uh, ruse, even though she's 90. You know, he's coming into this town. Oh, she's my sister. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but he's trying to cover his tracks. He's trying to find favor in this foreign land. And perhaps she is still beautiful. That's quite entirely possible. You know, she's out there. She's probably got a tan. She probably eats pretty organic. Likes goat milk and goat cheese and all that highfalutin stuff. But it's also that Abraham is powerful. And this is a, a desirable woman, whether it's just because she's wise, whether she's beautiful, or she's just a lady of statue, uh, stature. And she's in his house. And so it becomes a sign of peace between these rulers to trade females. Um, it's even a sense of why Saul offers his daughter Michael to David. 
you know, as a sign of peace. Let's let, have the, Saul, the house of Saul and the house of David united through marriage, that there might be peace. And this is a, a thing that happens through kings and kingdoms throughout all time. But what is he afraid of? Does Abraham not believe that God is with him now that he's gone south? Was he knowingly going somewhere he knows he shouldn't be? Again, I'm just trying to read between the lines a little bit, so don't take it as absolute doctrine, but I think that this story is here for a reason. I think sometimes the answer is pretty simple and pretty obvious. Um, but with that, do we run from those hard situations? And when we do, do we try and make peace with the world around us in ways that aren't exactly the Christ-like ways? Are we trying to flatter? Are we trying to bribe? Maybe not on the surface, you're handing $500 to the judge, but maybe you're trying to do things at work and say things at work or say things uh, to a crowd of friends to try and get them to like you. Maybe you're warming your hands by the fire and, well, I don't drink, but you know what, I'm out with them, so let me have a beer and you know that God would not want you to have that beer. I don't know what you're doing, but is that what's happening here? Or are you relying on God to be your peace? Are you relying on God to be your protection and provision in a strange land? And when things go south, is he the one that you call out to? Or are you returning to your old devices again, believer? Maybe these are things we don't want to think about, deal with, or face anymore, like the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. Are there ruins in front of us, our fault or not, in our relationships, in our careers, in our families, in our own goals in life? that we can't bear to look at or think about anymore, but perhaps we need to? Have we turned from those relationships or even God's providence in our lives to head south again? Is it not warm enough where God has placed you that you need to find warmth somewhere else? Do you think God has left you and so you need to go find something else to fill that need? Do we find ourselves backsliding and making the same foolish mistakes we thought we learned not to again happens to the best of us it can happen to any of us and it happened to abraham and i believe that's why god has this part of scripture here that we might learn these truths and become wise by them it's not to condemn you it's not to condemn me but as we'll see here in a minute i think it's the same way same reason God would appear to them and to Abimelech in a dream as we're going to see that God wants us to know what's really going on in life and really consider all the reasons for the decisions we make and the actions we take. Verse three says, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Hmm. I wonder if Abimelech knew about Sodom and Gomorrah, a wicked nation being slayed. Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to Abimelech in a dream, yes, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. 
Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will uh, pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And we'll stop there. God shows up in a dream to Abimelech. Abraham's not falling asleep here as he's sojourning and getting a dream from God. King Abimelech, the Philistine king, God shows up to him and appears to him. And we'll see God do this in Pharaoh's life, Nebuchadnezzar's life, Nebuchadnezzar's son when he writes on the wall, many, many Tekelu Parson, and several other places in Scripture because God is interested in all people. He desires even to reach pagan kings, your unbelievers at work, on the plane, or in your closest circles, and even your family. God loves these people. God cares for these people. And that's the whole point of Abraham having a son that would become a nation, that the Messiah would come out of, that all nations would be reached through the nation of Israel. But you know what? God wasn't waiting for the nation of Israel to be born and reach a certain population, a certain number, for God to be able to reach the people in this area. He was already working. He didn't need Israel to reach them. He's God. He showed up in dreams, but his plan was to use the nation of Israel in a larger way. But even though Abraham is afraid and acting foolishly, I believe, at the expense of his wife again. Remember last time? I wonder what that chariot ride out of town was like. It's going to go this way again. And she's willing and able, as Abimelech said. Even she told me. Sarah's in on it again. I don't know. Maybe Sarah's like, all right, I'm done with Abraham. This house looks pretty good. I don't know. I don't know what, what she's thinking here other than, you know, maybe she's just being obedient to her husband and going, oh, Abraham. You know, that's saying, you know, wives, just duck and let God knock your husband out because he'll do it way better than you will. Um, But yet again, God is still on Abraham's side. God is still working to carry out his promise to them in despite of Abraham's lack of faith, like in spite of it. That's comforting to know that even if we're screwing up, God's still going, what are you doing? And God will still step in uh, to work. Although, I'd rather not be this way. I'd rather just be obedient. Well, ideally I'd be obedient because if I really consider my life, I think sometimes I'd rather not be obedient if, I, if I'm honest. But God says to Abimelech in this dream, Abimelech, indeed you are a dead man. I don't know how you hear God saying this. Is it, Abimelech, you're a dead man. (laughs) I'm going to smite you. As Abimelech, you're a dead man. Like, if anyone's messing with my family, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're a dead man. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. God's stepping in going, Abimelech, this ain't going to happen. I'm not going to let you get away with this. But this word, dead man, is to kill or even have one executed, to die as a penalty, to be put to death, or even of a nation, or even die prematurely. We talk of, uh, who is that guy? Uh, Some star, I forget his name, in the 60s or something. He he died real young, and it's all this tragedy. This movie star dies real young. Well, yeah, it was, but his life probably was not exactly living the right way. But it also means to die prematurely by neglect of wise and moral conduct the way someone might die if they're living life on the edge you know i watched a video of this guy hang gliding uh in a foreign country and the the instructor forgot to clip him on and he's hanging on for dear life and he almost dies and 
It's the most petrifying GoPro video I've ever seen. You know, there's this crime movie that I believe I've quoted before about two criminals and they're fighting over money. And one guy tries to have the other guy killed and he goes, what am I doing? I'm talking to an empty telephone. And the other guy says, well, I don't understand. He says, because there's a dead man on the other end of this line. I don't think God is threatening Abimelech like this criminal in this movie is threatening the other criminal. There's a dead man on the other end of this line. You know, I don't think that what God is saying here. Um, because God could have just killed him and Sarah could have gone back to Abraham and everything would have been done. But you know what? That would mean, it would mean that God didn't care about Abimelech and the people of Gerar. And God did. And God warned him of the judgment in his life. And God always warns us of the judgment to come, whether it's just straight up scripture or whether it's personally in a dream. Maybe you get woken up with conviction one night. Well, heed that conviction. Heed that conviction to God. And why would God pronounce judgment on a guy who didn't know him? I think, uh, you know, I have to think that if, if Abimelech didn't know God, he surely recognized him by his use of Lord, Adonai here, in the dream. Adonai, yeah, can I mean Lord and Master, as you might say, you know, to another nobleman. But I think Abimelech realized that this is, this is the real God. And again, this is just stepping out on a limb, a conjecture here. Uh, but perhaps he had some hearing of God in his life, like Abraham did before leaving Ur. Abraham wasn't the Israelite king. He was just some guy basically living in Iraq, and God spoke to him and called him out. He wasn't some faithful high priest somewhere. He was Abraham. And I think that's the same thing here. God was trying to reach Abimelech. And even if God hadn't got his attention before, this dream got his attention. And it's very interesting because of what's said by both of them here. Um, he had taken her as a wife, but he hadn't had a relationship with her. She was just, uh, just in his house. And I think it's interesting that just because she's in his house, he's taken her as a bride, God pronounces that the penalty for this sin is death. We don't read in the law that, uh, 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 we read in the law that adultery can, is punishable by death. We see that in the New Testament, that they drag this lady out to stone her, uh, but God pronounces grace on her. Uh, but the law hadn't been given yet. And yet God is still saying that basically the rules of right and wrong and the punishment for sin, no matter what it is, whether you know it or not, is still death. And he says, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Like, God, I, I, didn't, I did not mean to do this. I thought that she was okay to take for wife. I had known she was... His wife, I never, ever, ever would have taken her. You know that. You see inside my heart. You're God. Are you going to slay me and, and a righteous nation also? And I think if Abimelech's saying that we're righteous and you're going to slay us over this, like I think Abimelech might be pointing out here that number one, he knows his own actions affect his entire nation, all of his people, not just his family, not just his servants, but everyone who's under his kingdom and his authority. But I think in a sense, he's also saying that his nation is not like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was all about wickedness. Their wickedness stunk up to heaven. But Gerar, the city in the south, this city was a decent city. Maybe there wasn't a lot of crime. Maybe people tried to do the right thing in the city. And maybe even, just even, the city knew who God was. I know that's out there. I know that's wild, but if we read scriptures, remember Abraham tied to the king of Salem? Wasn't he supposed to be a type of Christophany? 
I'm not saying I know all the facts and I was here, but I'm saying, isn't it possible that the people of Gerar maybe might have known who the real God was? Maybe they didn't have the full revelation of God. Who did it this time? The Bible wasn't written, but perhaps they were seeking him. Perhaps there was something in the city that made them righteous. And I think you also knew that the judgment on a king was also judgment on a nation. Especially our nations, when we pick our leaders, I think we get whom we deserve. This word just, lawful, righteous, as in government, in one's cause, in one's conduct and character, or as justified and vindicated by God himself. Something that is right, correct, and lawful. Abimelech saying, God, I, I wouldn't have done this if I knew she was married because I know that's wrong. I know that's sin. And he says, even Abraham told me she was a sister. I didn't do it. I thought everything was okay. And even Sarah told me. God says, I know you did this because you thought it was right. God says, I know what's in your heart, Abimelech. God saw his motives and God even says that he actually prevented him from going any further, from touching her. And having the right motives, even if you just take this on the base level of just trying to do the right thing without a relationship with God, can prevent you from going on and doing wrong things. People who do the quote-unquote right things on life are not going to end up in jail, even if they don't know God. If you don't break the law, you're not going to go to jail. If you don't break a moral law, you're not going to have a bad marriage. You don't break God's financial laws, so to speak. You're going to have okay finances. The rules of God are constants in nature, just like entropy, just like the law of, uh, you know, the 32 constants in the universe of gravity, of uh, weak nuclear force and strong nuclear force, all these things, if they're obeyed, they kind of have to be because they're physics. But with the moral law, if we obey them, well, what comes up is going to come down. The same thing with the moral law. I'm not saying it would save him if he didn't have a relationship with God. His righteousness would not save him. But it would, in a sense, save his life. It just it wouldn't give him eternal life. You know what? Having the right motives and trying to do the right thing, even if you don't know everything or have complete faith, is still a good thing. It can still bring blessing in your life. And again, it won't save you because Abimelech was still a dead man but it will prevent further tragedy in our lives. America doesn't have to be a Christian nation. If we just held on to some morals like we did in the past, we were better off. But you know what? We didn't hang on to the morals because we didn't hang on to Jesus. And without God in our lives, we're not going to hang on to our morals for very long. No matter how hard we try, temptation will eventually overcome us. And Abimelech didn't touch Sarah because he was extra good, but because God intervened in his life. I believe it was more than just doing the right thing, protecting him. God says that I prevented you. So that sees God's hand on Abimelech's life. Not just for Abimelech's sake. I believe it was obviously for a grander purpose, as we see. Um, most importantly for that of God keeping his promise that Sarah would bear Isaac through Abraham and eventually the Messiah and not through Abimelech. But Abimelech had to do the right thing now. There was no more. He knew the truth. He was convicted and he was told there's judgment. God gave him a chance. He said, you got to get up and do this the right thing in the morning, bud. 
He had to give Sarah back and get the man of God to pray for him. It wasn't just making restitution. It was seeking uh, spiritual forgiveness, spiritual covering. Uh, and this is the symbol of the need for the Messiah, the coming priesthood. And again, this is all the shadow of the great high priest, Jesus. Let's go on, verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, I mean, I'd be pretty afraid too. What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place. Wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. Like Abraham does when he's going the right way, Abimelech does the same thing. He gets up early to get done what needs to be done. You know what? He doesn't keep it hidden. He tells his whole house. As a king, he could just have her handed back and dealt with it privately. Um, you know, pulled out the private jet on the tarmac and tried to work out a deal. But no, he, gets, he calls everyone in for the morning staff meeting, bright and early. People are wiping the sleep out of their eyes, I bet. He goes, God showed up into me a dream. Sarah is married to Abraham. I can't have her. That's the reason, as we'll see later, why all this sickness is in our house. And it's not from an STD or something like that because he never touched her and she's just in there. God is pronouncing an actual judgment on them because of her very presence in the place where she shouldn't be. You know what? It puts the fear of God in them. And I think that all along, that's what God wanted. God allowed all this to happen, that these people of Gerar, whether they knew him or not, would at this point have the fear of God in them. Just like in the book of Acts when the people who uh, are of the household of God lie to the Holy Spirit and they drop dead. It's to bring the fear of God. And it says even the people outside the church begin to fear God. And we do need to fear God. I think we disrespect God all too much. There is a, a name of a juice store in the, I forget which airport it was because it's been blurry. It's, you know, it definitely wasn't Montana. It was Dallas or uh, Baltimore. But the name of the place was, uh, it's, it, uh, J-E, and then it was like a lightning bolt for an S, and then uh, you, it was basically, basically it was like saying Jesus, but they were trying not to take the S out, so it sounded like juice. And I was like, oh my word. Like, there's such blatant disrespect for the God of all creation that we create a juice bar with his name on it and try and make it look like it's not really blasphemy. So, if you shop there, Penalty is death. <laughs> but sincerely, the fear of God is nothing to be joked about, nothing to consider. And I think we do because God has been, as people might think, slack concerning his judgment, but he's not. He's been gracious and kind, and he has exactly the same amount of power he always has. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And Abimelech rebukes Abraham. How could you do this, Abraham? 
Why would you do this to me? I did nothing wrong to you. I welcomed you in here. I wanted peace with you. I didn't even touch her. I just brought her to the house that we might have peace. Why would you bring this judgment on us, Abram? You're a man of God. Why would you do this so ungodly thing to me? What did you have in view? Did you want my kingdom? Were you coveting my place? What was it, Abraham? What did you, did you have in view? And I think it's interesting the things Lot had in view and the things Abraham looked in view. Very different, but they both were concerned for themselves. And verse 11 says that Abraham had judged them. He said, because the fear of God was not in this place. Well, if we look at the dream and we read what Abimelech says and what Abimelech does and what happens to the people, the fear of God was in that place. And even if it technically wasn't, it came upon that place. That place was ready to receive the fear of God. Abraham, the people you thought didn't have the fear of God in them did the right thing, and you who were supposed to have the fear of God in you were lying to them and putting your wife in danger yet again, putting her on the chopping block. Perhaps Abimelech should have been afraid of you, Abraham. Abraham comes clean here. He says, yeah, she's my sister, but only my half-sister. But even though he comes clean, he doesn't really repent or apologize, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he did. But it just it doesn't come off like the sincerest way because he begins to give his testimony. He says, well, God called me out. And well, when he did, I, I said, Sarah, do me this kindness. So he's kind of telling the truth, but I don't really, I don't know. I just, I don't get that here. Maybe I'm judging Abraham and Abraham, when I meet you in heaven, I'm sorry if I am. But the testimony that he gives here, it's soiled because if God called you out, why did you have to get your wife to do this thing? Because when God calls us, we need to trust him completely and not make excuses because even though it might save us physically, it's going to spoil the, the message spiritually that God is trying to give through us. Let's finish up here and get through the last bit of chapter 22 real quick. Verse 14 says, Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. And thus she was rebuked. So Abimelech, the guy seeking righteous living, a good guy, not only restores Sarah to Abraham, but he blesses Abraham with all these peace offerings, all these servants, all these wealth, all this wealth, all these riches. Like you wronged me, Abraham, but you know what? I'm paying up for my sin. I did not intend to sin against you or God, but you know what? I want to do more than I, than, than, than I can imagine to try and make things right. Do everything I can possibly imagine to do that. And again, does Abraham apologize here? I just don't see it. I see him making excuses with a poor testimony. You know, a lot of times we try and give our testimony. And really, when you listen to it, you go, are you just proud of the things you used to do? Or are you really proud that God saved you? And some of that comes with maturity. But sincerely, I don't know. I think sometimes we as Christians make far too many excuses for our sins and our apologies are sorry, not sorry's all too often. Almost, he's saying, I trust God less than you do. Abimelech trusted God when God told him of the judgment coming because of the sin and he repented quickly because he, God knew, he knew God was real and that sin truly deserved destruction. 
And even though his sin was technically only, you know, if I can even say that, was just sin. It wasn't transgression. It was a sin of not knowing what was happening and not, oh, she's Abraham's wife. I don't care. It was just he didn't know. But he still knew that even though he didn't know outwardly that it was wrong, that the situation was wrong, when he found out what he had done, he knew that it was still sin and it still deserved judgment. I think that Abimelech was a pretty righteous dude. Because at least in the sense that he wanted to know the truth and to live in the light of the truth once he came to it. And I don't necessarily see that in Abraham's life here. But God still calls a prophet. That's grace. God's still going to speak through Abraham. God's still going to work through Abraham. And man, that gives me hope. Because how many things have I done even today? And man, I don't deserve God to speak through me one bit. I don't deserve to be called pastor or prophet. And I think that's part of why God says, don't call anyone father. You have one father. He's in heaven. And then he says to Sarah, I've given your brother. You know, you can hear the irony in his voice here. Like, hey, Sarah, I've given your brother a bunch of money and a bunch of animals. I made things right here. You know, she was rebuked for her actions because she knew full well what she was getting into. And she brought this on them as well. Uh, But you know what? He also uh, restored to her. You know, he made it right with her husband. You know, I believe he went in and got right in the situation and dealt with her face to face. Wanted to cut that awkwardness out. So next time they were out and they bumped into each other at, you know, the, the camel watering hole, there wouldn't be any awkwardness between him and uh, Abraham and, and Sarah. And again, we see Abimelech doing the right thing, telling Abraham, just like Abraham told Lot to go wherever he wanted in the land. Verse 17, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech his wife and his female servants. So we see that the rest of the, their wombs were, bore, were closed up and they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Abraham prays, they are forgiven, they heal, they can bear children. Um, and God was not going to allow anything to prevent the coming of Isaac, Israel, and the Messiah. And he closed up their wombs as a relative judgment to that. And I believe sometimes the judgment on our lives uh, because of our sin, can actually reflect the blessing that we're preventing by it. Is that relationship destroyed by your actions? Well, if you weren't sinful, you'd be blessed with the relationship. And how often I think of the natural gifts and talents and blessings people have in their lives, people who are very famous and very gifted, and they use it for themselves. And their lives are destroyed. They commit suicide or uh, they're just addicted to drugs and all sorts of things. Because they use it for themselves. You know what? If they use it for God, they would have had all those things. They would have had a, a great life. They would have the blessing of the talent and the fame and the fortune, but it would all be done in God's way, and they wouldn't have the disparity and the empty soul and the feeling of death, but they would have life. And when God's judgment, I'm sorry, when judgment is evident and pronounced, when the conviction comes, when the spark of reality of God's light shines in our lives like it did for Abimelech in that dream, or like Paul when he was knocked off his horse, let it have its immediate effect in our lives. Repentance unto life. Let it happen right away. When we put it off, when we shut it off, when we try and hit the snooze button on conviction, we tend to oversleep it. And our judgment tends to come. Make things right before God and man as soon as you can. Do not wait. 
2 Corinthians 6, 2, for he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're not saved and listening to this, pause it, or keep listening, but get on your knees and pray to God and ask him to forgive you of all your sin. Ask him to come into your heart and cleanse you and have you turn from unrighteousness and help you to live a righteous life. Not a perfect one, but one that seeks after him. And that he would fill you with your spirit, with his spirit, and take you to heaven. And that you call him Lord. Thank you, God. I pray that whoever hears this would listen and obey and not face your judgment because you don't want them to. Thank you, God. But people, even in the world, are seeking righteousness. They're seeking truth in God. People do all sorts of things um, just because they want that bit of righteousness. Maybe they're not doing the right thing, but deep down that's the desire for the right thing. Maybe they're standing up for the wrong cause, but they're standing up for a cause that they believe is right because they desire some form of righteousness in their life. They may not have gotten all the way there yet, but it's our duty to not prejudice them and say the fear of God is not in this place. You don't know their hearts. God sees their heart. God sees their motive. Instead of being a judgment and a bad example to them, lead them. Be a good example to them. Open up a conversation to them, not about necessarily their sin right away or the judgment that might be obvious on their life, but use these things as stepping stones, as building blocks towards leading them to the Lord and the fact that he took their judgment for them. And if, Man, if they are really seeking righteousness, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, because they're going to find it. And the righteousness that they have found in, in XYZ is not the righteousness that they need in their lives. And with that, let's move on to Genesis 22, verses 20 through 24. We're just going to read up real quick. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Huz is firstborn, Buzz is brother. That's a pretty good Huz and Buzz. I wonder if they got into trouble. Uh, uh, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Are you writing these down, babe? And Bethuel begot Rebekah. And these eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Remu, also bore Teba, Gehem, Thahash, and Makkah. And there's probably a lot we can learn from this genealogy, but the point that sticks out to me, the one that uh, for our study and our purposes, is that this is about Rebekah. That after everything with Isaac, Abraham's brother Nahor now has children. And these children, at least one of them, is going to be a blessing to Isaac. Uh, and what we can take away from this is Rebekah is born here. God is already preparing her for him and him for her that they would together bear the nation. Uh, you know, I believe that there's one person for everyone. I met that one person. I don't know if she's met the one person yet, but I've met her. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but God has a perfect plan for each of us, and that's really hard to comprehend from, from our angle. Sometimes we tend to think, well, could it really only be one person? And, well, even as a believer, I dated this person, and they were gonna, I thought they were the right one, and then they fell away. Well, Maybe that God did intend them to be the right person, but they chose not to be the right person. I don't know how that all works. Or maybe they just never were the right person from the start. I don't know. Perhaps you were never married and you want to be. Perhaps that person is still out there, 
Or perhaps you even thought you married the wrong person. And I think that's why a lot of marriages uh, early on might fail is because they start thinking that they married the wrong person. This isn't the same person that I thought it was because they get to know them better and they go through a rough patch. Well, you know what? God knew. And God brought you together. And God will get you through it. Even if they're an unbeliever and you made a mistake as a believer, God somehow has intended this person to be the right person for you, for your, both of your sanctification, that you both might reach heaven. Don't go through the, the hard way if you've dated and you've done the wrong thing. Don't be like Abraham and go back because you haven't found the right person yet. Know that God is preparing them. I mean, God was preparing Ashley for me uh, since before the foundation of earth, and she was born eight years after me. So if I was 20 and looking around for a wife, well, I wasn't going to find it in 12-year-old Ashley, and certainly not in 2018 uh, in, a, in a correct society. You know, and I think that even more so, we tend to think these things, thinking that we've got some own righteousness of our own, but you know what, in reality, we're all awful. Not my wife, though. And to think that someone else would pledge their lives to us, I mean, who is worthy of that? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be married, especially the way I, I treat people or treated people before the Lord, especially. But to be married or even to have friends or to have children, employment, anything or anyone even remotely devoted to us, even if it's just they send us a text message, to have that amount of devotion from someone else, that's a blessing from God. And we, could, we should not take it for granted you need to hold out for the one that God has for you if you're not married. If you are married, hold on to the one that he has given you. Even if you don't know them or don't like them yet, it's who he has for you. And it's good. God always gives good gifts. And you know what? He's doing a great job preparing them and you for each other. Whether you know each other yet or not, the rest of our lives, he's preparing us for a relationship with him and each other and getting ready for heaven. Because just like in Abimelech's life, God did not want judgment to come on him and on his house. He put it on there to get their attention. He gave them a dream to make it clear. But at the end, he wanted them to fear God. So, God, help us fear you. God, you say that that's where wisdom begins. So, Lord, we want to be wise. Where we've been foolish and made foolish, sinful mistakes, even when we know better and chose the wrong, help us, God. Forgive us, Lord. It's worthy of death. Help us be reminded that your blood was spilled for even the things we find to be little. They're not. They're huge. There's a big difference between us and you, God, and that difference is sin and the propensity for it. So God, bless all those who hear your word uh, through this message. Bless my family and myself. Bless the people of this community and around us, God, that they might come to know you and, and, and know that you don't want judgment for them. You'll warn them of that judgment but you want them to come and, and be a part of your kingdom, a kingdom of blessing and love and hope and faith where there are no more tears uh, and there's no shadow of turning. God, so be glorified, be lifted up, come back soon. Uh, we love you. Thank you for loving us and all you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.